Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Alright, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, starting in verse 15 today. We've uh, we've been at this now a couple of weeks for this uh, chapter that we've been working through, this uh, basically section uh, verses 1 through today. We'll get through 19, God willing, of course. 1 through 19, the Akedah. This is the passage that, if you remember, that three weeks ago, it was week 72 going through the book of Genesis. Uh, So three weeks ago, we looked at the announcement of Abraham's final exam. The week after that was the parameters of Abraham's final exam. Last week was Abraham begins his final exam. And then today's study, I'm titling it, Abraham finishes his final exam. All right. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, resuming then where we left off. Just by way of review, a little bit last week we looked at verses 3 through 14. A couple of the highlights from there. Verse 7, Isaac's question of his father, where is the lamb? And John the Baptist answers that question, pointing to Jesus and declaring to the crowd in John chapter 129, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 11, we talked about the angel of the Lord as being the same as the angel of the Lord that appears to Moses from the burning bush and with whom Jesus identifies in John chapter 8, verses 57-58. From verse 12, we looked at the disclosure to Abraham that this was a test, and that we found from James 2.22 that Abraham's faith was made perfect as a result of having endured and gone through this test. From verse 13, So Abraham went and took all of Tav, the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. That strange all of Tav combination appearing there. And then John chapter 8, verse 56, where Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And there seems to be no better fit for that passage than for this chapter right here, perhaps even uh, referring specifically to Abraham turning and seeing the ram that was caught in the thicket there. And then verse 14, the name of the place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. Also from verse 14, the mount of the Lord, referring back to Moriah, which also referring forward, the Temple Mount. So those are just by way of review of what we looked at basically last week. We're picking up then and resuming with verse 15. Somebody mind reading verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriela. So the angel of the Lord, this again is the angel of the Lord. We talked about that last week. Called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. A second time. When was the first time? We were to look at the immediately preceding time that the Lord called to him, or the angel of the Lord called to him. It would be in verse 11. Verse 11 there being the first time in this passage or in this incident. I'm saying that obviously in disconnection from verse 2. I mean, because the introduction we had in verse 2, God's calling to Abraham. But here when it says the second time in verse 15, we have to look back at immediately preceding this, which would have been verse 11. So verse 11 was when the angel Lord called to him while Abraham has the knife and is ready to slay his son. All right. So Abraham being called to by the angel of the Lord. You remember when we looked at that word called 
It means in a loud voice. <laughs> okay? It's not quietly. It's not whispered. The angel Lord didn't whisper to Abraham here. Uh, this is a, a loud voice calling to him. Verse 16. Somebody might reading verse 16. And said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. By myself I have sworn. <clears throat> Or some versions will say, I swear by myself. So this is the angel of the Lord. This is God talking, saying, I swear to you by myself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can see the furrowed brows right now, right? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Let me read to you what it says over there. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, <laughs> right? So what God is doing is he's saying, I swear to you by the highest name there is. And that's... That would be me. All right, that's basically what he's saying. He's swearing by himself because there's no one greater. There's no other name above this name that he can swear by. So he's swearing by himself, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. By the way, that swearing by himself, this hasn't occurred yet. In all those promises that God has made to Abraham, this is the first time that he's swearing. He's taking an oath and incorporating his own name in conjunction with that oath. All right, So we haven't seen that before. So um, when he says here, your son, your only son, Matthew Henry ends up saying regarding this, whatever is dearest to us upon earth is our Isaac. All right. So when he's willing to give up his Isaac, his son, his only son, what is it in our life? I mean, we being disconnected from the story could say, boy, that must have been really hard. But what would it be in our lives that we would hold so dear? Whatever it is that we hold most dear, that's the Isaac in our life. If God was to say to you, are you willing to give that up, would you be able to say yes? Would you be able to follow through? If not, that's something that maybe the Holy Spirit's wrestling with you on. Because ultimately, what does it come down to? Either God is the Lord of your life or something else is. All right. Either your affection is upon the creator of the universe or it's not. And if there's something else in place of the creator of the universe then that's something you got to work out because the priority should be God first. <laughs> right? Everything else after that, God first. Mm -hmm. And if God's not first in your life, that's an issue he's going to want to wrestle with you and have you wrestle with and have you work that out. All right. So what is the Isaac in your life? What is the thing that he might ask of you and say, you've got this in your life that you hold more dear and more precious than anything else? Are you willing? Are you willing, if I was called upon you, to give that up? All right. He's not going to call us to sacrifice your children, folks, though. All right? If you get that weird uh, voice in the night that says, go sacrifice your child, okay, d don't do it. All right? But are you willing to live in such a way that the Lord is first in your life? That the Lord is first in your life. How about verse 17? Somebody might reading verse 17. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Excellent. Thank you, Kenny. Good job. Offspring. So Kenny's version has offspring. Any other versions out there have it something different? Descendants. Descendants. Good. Okay. Those are the two main ones. Descendants, offspring. We've looked at this before. The Hebrew word for this is zera, right? Literally translated seed. Seed. All right, and this is all the way from Genesis chapter 1. This word has come up over and over and over again. So here we have a translation of the same word that we've seen since Genesis chapter 1. Zerah, the Hebrew word Zerah, meaning offspring or meaning descendants. Okay? The word in Hebrew can be singular or it can be plural. All right, we've looked at that before. All right, so here we're seeing it. We're seeing it translated 
as descendants, or we're seeing it translated as offspring. And he says, I will multiply your Zerah as the stars of the heaven. What is that to say? What is he, gonna, what is he saying about his descendants, his offspring, his Zerah? There's going to be a lot of them, right? <laughs> I mean, if you were to go outside and count the stars, there's going to be a lot of them. We've seen that idiom used over in chapter 15, verse 2 as well. This is not the first time we've seen stars, all right? As the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore. This is the first time we've seen sand. We've seen dust over in chapter 13, but here we see sand. So God has told him, I am going to make your zera as numerous as the stars in the heaven. I'm going to make your zera as numerous as the dust. I'm going to make your zera, and now here we have the sand that's on the seashore, right? We're talking about a great blessing, many, many descendants, all right? Here's an interesting thing, though, the second part of the verse. And your zera shall possess the gate of, what do your versions say? Their enemies. Their enemies, I heard there. Any others? Oh, his, his, his enemies. enemies. Oh, wait, so we've got, hmm, that's kind of strange. How would we read that then? And your <laughs> Zara shall possess the gate of his enemies, or and your Zara shall possess the gate of their enemies. Okay, let's talk first about gates. All right, what is the gate? Is it a garden gate? Like if you were to walk up to my house, you know, if I had a gate, I don't. But if you were to walk to my house and you open a little garden gate and you were to go up to my door, is that what's being talking about? Is that the kind of gate? What kind of gate does he have in mind? A city gate. A city gate. Okay, good. A city gate. Describe what a city gate would be like. The main entry. The, a main entrance. Good. Is it going to be a little wispy thing? Is it going to be a little chain link fence? Or is it going to be a bamboo? It's going to be a, like a fortress gate, right? So what is he saying here? He's saying there's going to be coming a day when I'm going to make your Zara such that they will possess the gate of their enemy, right? Or his enemy. He's saying that defense, that thing that's supposed to keep people out, all right? No problem. Your Zara is going to be able to handle that. Your Zara is going to be able to conquer that. It's going to be able to tear that down. It's going to be able to break through that. All right? But then we get to this issue. Is it his or their? It doesn't specify. Zara is a word. We don't know if it's plural or singular. It can be translated either way. So some people take this verse and they tell you, well, obviously the first time that Zara is used in this verse, it's obviously plural, right? Because you're going to multiply them. You're going to make them a great number. The second part, though, is it still going to be plural or is it going to be singular paul uses this in an interesting way when you look over in galatians chapter 3 verse 6 he ends up saying this i'm sorry galatians chapter 3 verse 16 galatians 3 16 now to abraham and his zera were the promises made he does not say and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is christ so paul uses in galatians 3 16 that idea of zera can be translated either way for the point he's trying to make over in Galatians, he's trying to say, this all points to Christ. He's trying to say that passage that we're looking at today is pointing forward to Christ, is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you interpret it as the singular. So it's kind of interesting to see that, but yet we have translations, some are plural and some are singular. So you can see the argument being made for the plural is that, well, the first one that appears in the verse is plural, so let's make the second one plural. And then the argument for the singular is that, well, Paul understands it and is arguing that it's singular, at least in the second half of the verse. So we translate it singular. But I, I wanted to bring it to your attention that there's that tension there, all right, between the singular and the plural, and that it could be understood either way, okay? But Paul ultimately pointing and saying this was to refer to Christ all along. Again, remember how we were talking about this, how you can see the fingerprints of God all through this? Here's another fingerprint, all right? Here's another fingerprint. How about verse 18? Somebody mind reading verse 18? 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. Here we have in this verse, verse 18, the exact same word that's translated offspring in the previous verses, or descendants, depending on which version you're using. New King James has descendants, ESV has offspring, and then uh, New King James, though, strangely says seed here. So New King James Translation Committee went out of their way in verse 17 to translate it as descendants, and in verse 18 to put in seed when it's the same word. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. there. Yet ESV does it more consistently. They at least use offspring in each of those places that it appears. Just, again, bringing it to your attention. How about verse 19? Somebody might read that one. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So who returned? Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, right? Does does anybody say Isaac? Uh, Where's Isaac? (laughs) Uh, A lot of your commentators, they don't just pass this. They actually will bring this up and point out that Isaac seems to be glaringly absent. Right? It seems like we should read Abraham and Isaac returned to the young men, right? But we don't. Isaac's not mentioned. So some people make a really big to do out of it. Others they're like quit looking for something that's not there. All right. But I bring it to your attention because if you do further study, you do find there is a big discussion that goes on. What does that mean that Isaac's not there? And they go off we don't need to, all right? <laughs> the main point of the passage is that it all points ahead to the future to Christ. It it doesn't necessarily tell us why Isaac wasn't mentioned in this particular verse. That's the only reason I bring that up. So with that verse, though, uh, we should talk about Beersheba just briefly. This kind of closes it out. Do you remember where he was before this started? They're in Beersheba. They're now going back to the place that they originally started in. What I want to do, though, now is I I want to refresh our memories, all right, with something that we did early on. If you could take one of these and pass the rest down, you may recognize this, all right? This is a worksheet that I had us fill out several weeks ago, all right? If you weren't here, you get the benefit. Oh, I'm sorry. Take a pen and pass them around there. So you, if you weren't here then, you get the benefit of being able to participate in this. And if you were here then, you're going to see that we're going to take it a step further. All right? So as you're passing that around right now, this is the worksheet, like I said, that we did a couple of weeks ago. So this has all been Abraham's final exam. All right? This is Abraham's big test. But it wasn't his only test. He's had quite a few tests leading up to this. And we've decided that the course that he's taking, the class, the name of the class that Abraham is taking through all of this is what? Do you trust me? So the first blank that you would fill in there is, do you trust me? That's the name of the class. That's Abraham's class. This chapter 22 is his final exam. Do you trust me? And then you remember for rule number one, rule number one was expect tests as pruning. That was from John chapter 15. Remember that? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I cut off. It gets cut off. Every branch that does bear fruit gets pruned. And we were talking about, oh, I don't want the blade to touch me either way. But going through tests is what? It's a pruning process for us. I have a question. Sure. How do you tell cutting off versus pruning? Because in both cases, they're being cut off. You know what I think? I think in my yard, I'm not going to cut anything that's still alive. The things that I'm going to cut off are the things that are dead. And for a dead branch to get cut off, they don't know. I think a lot of times in our lives, spiritually, there's an application in the sense that the ones that are spiritually dead, God is willing to cut off, and they might not even know it. They might not ever know that they're being cut off. But if there's still life in there, then there's pain that's going to be felt when they get cut. And so the pain is indicative that there's still life in you, right? (laughs) That there's still life, 
and there's still a chance of, of bearing more fruit as a result of going through the pruning process? Great question. So expect tests as pruning from John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. All right, so remember, we looked at seven sample tests that he had gone through, that Abraham had gone through leading up to this. Number one, the first one was from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and also looking at chapter 11, verse 31. It was that uh, that test where God told him, you're to leave the land of your relatives and you're to go a place that I'm going to show you. And you remember that the lesson there that he was to learn was to obey right away. So that first blank is obey. Obey right away was the test. And you remember, we even gave him a score. If you were here that week, we gave him a score of a B there. We gave him a B because he did it, but he delayed in Haran, right? He did, there was that delay. So he got a pretty good score, but it wasn't perfect. He got a B. All right. The second test that we pulled out and looked at specifically was that time of famine and they went down to Pharaoh and that whole thing about worry and deceit and getting his wife to say, you're my sister. And you remember we looked at that and what was the test? It was don't worry or compromise. Don't worry or compromise. That was the test that time, that second test that we looked at on the worksheets. Don't worry or compromise. And you remember we gave him a score of a D. <laughs> right? I mean, we gave him a score of a D because he worried and he compromised, all right? But we gave him a D instead of an F because he could have gone home. He could have said, you know, pack it all in, forget this. We're not leaving this land. We're going back to where we came from. We're going to start afresh over there where we came from and just abandon the whole idea. No, they stayed in the general area that God had called them to, but uh, that's about all they get credit for. So he got a D over there, all right? The third test we looked at was regarding the promised land to be given to his descendants. And you remember that that was an incomplete, right? This is something that we haven't seen the fulfillment of at this time from the perspective of Abraham at that time. So what was the test there? It was keep a long distance view. Keep a long distance view because that wasn't something to be fulfilled in his lifetime, in his small little world of, of time. Keep a long distance view. Test four, Genesis chapter 16, enduring childlessness. And during childlessness, the test there was persevere until God provides. Persevere until God provides. And you remember we gave him a score of a C on that one. Because they did do a lot of persevering, but then there was that whole Hagar-Ishmael thing. (laughs) right? That was a solution that they came up with. It wasn't God's solution. So, okay, they did the persevering, but they also failed to. They get a C on that one. All right, I might have been too generous on that, but anyway, (laughs) they get a C. The next one there, the next one, number five, Genesis chapter 17, the test that he went through there was circumcision, and the lesson was you may experience pain. (laughs) You may experience pain. And we gave him an A. He did well on that one. All right? It showed that he didn't try to avoid it. He didn't try to, okay, everybody else gets circumcised, but I'm in charge, so I don't have to. Dad gets to make the rules. Dad doesn't have to. No, it wasn't any of that. He went through it as well. He got an A for that one. The, The sixth one there, Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, famine, Abimelech, kind of a repeat of the Pharaoh story where you had Sarah, you know, won't you say you're my sister? It almost worked in Egypt. Well, maybe it didn't. Anyway, that was learn from your repeat failures. You remember that that was learn from your repeat failures. And the score he got on that one was an F because he didn't learn from his previous failure, right? He got a D on that previous time. He should have known by now, though. He, <laughs> it wasn't going to work, and he tried it again. So we got to give him not a D. We got to go with an F on that one. And then number seven, Genesis chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. He was told to send away Hagar and Ishmael. And uh, the lesson there, learn from your bittersweet victories. 
because he did well on that one. He actually got an A for that one. That test, he got an A. But it was hard. It was bittersweet because he did what he was supposed to do, but it still didn't make it much easier. All right, It could have been much harder if he had not done what he was supposed to do. So it was still difficult. Learn from your bittersweet victories. So you remember overall we gave him a 2.33 or a C minus or C overall for his overall score. Now, if you're like me and you went through college and you took these courses or you took whatever course, just pick a course, imagine the course that you took. You had tests all along the way through your school year. Those tests were important. Those tests you had to do well on, they did affect your final grade, but when it came down to it, when you took the final exam, it was like a combination that saw everything, right? That it was kind of like, cumulative in the sense that the material you were going to be tested on was stuff you had seen before. It was to see how well you could work with the information that you got through the entire class. So this worksheet that we just went through is the stuff that he picked up along the way through the whole class. These are the tests that he took. These are the individual grades that he got. Now looking at Genesis chapter 22 as his final exam, I want you to look again at number one, that lesson obey right away. See obey right away, number one? Look at verse three. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Did he obey right away? Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. He learned from the test he took earlier that God had tested him along the way. He learned from that. Instead of a B, he gets an A here because he learned to obey right away. How about the next one? Don't worry or compromise. Don't worry or compromise. Consider for yourselves, how did he do on not worrying or compromising? Look at verses 8 and 10 especially. 8 and 10. Verses 8 and 10 say, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. It sounds like he's not worrying. And the two of them went together. How about verse 10? And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. No compromise. He's not compromising. I can't find any indication that he worries through this chapter. I can't find any indication that he's compromising. He's all in. He's all in and he's faithfully going forward even when his son puts forth that hard question. Dad, where's where's the lamb? And he says, God's going to provide the lamb. He seems to get an A here as well. It seems that the test that he took on this subject earlier in his class, he got a D on, but now he's doing well. How about the next one? The third one, that keep a long distance view. It's kind of fun, but look at verse 4 regarding keeping a long-distance view. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. He's keeping a long-distance view. He sees it afar off. <laughs> I just thought that fit really well. Sorry. <laughs> He's keeping a long-distance view. i got to give him an A on it. He's doing really well. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. All right, how about number five? Persevering until God provides. How do you do there? Great. Oh, yeah. Verses 13 and 14 are especially relevant there. Verses 13 and 14. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram provided by God. There behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Persevere until God provides. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He was ready to go all the way until the angel spoke and said, stop. He persevered up until that moment when God said, there you go, I've provided. I've provided. You've made it. You've done it. How about number five, Genesis 17. You may experience pain. Do you suppose he experienced pain in this? Do you suppose this was easy for him? 
I don't imagine this was easy for him. He's being asked to sacrifice his son. There's no way that could be easy. Your son, your only son, whom you love. No way is this going to be easy. Is he experiencing pain? I'm sure he is. You may experience pain. Look at verse 9 especially. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Do you suppose he experienced pain? He's doing well. He's got an A on that. How about the next one, the next lesson? Learn from your repeat failures, specifically having to do with the worry and the compromise. He seems to be doing well there too, right? And learn from your bittersweet victories. I'm sure at the end of this, you know what, I'm thinking as a father, out of concern for my child, at what trauma that they probably just went through in this, I'm sure it's a bittersweet victory for him, right? Here's what I'm seeing, though, the overall pattern. God has provided for Abraham tests all through this time that he's been working with him. Since the very end of chapter 11 into chapter 12 and all the way up until this point, God has provided for him opportunities to practice what the final exam is going to call from him. God has provided tests along the way to help him so that when the final exam comes, he does well. When God tests us, it's with an eye to see us succeed, not fail. Satan tempts us. He tests us to see us fail. God tests us to see us succeed. And God has provided everything he's needed to prepare him for this moment, for the final exam, so that he does excellent on it. He gets an A on the final exam. Even though on the test he had a hard time, we see that he's learned his lessons in this one little chapter, verses 1 through 19. Maybe God does something similar in our lives. Maybe God tests us with relatively smaller tests along the way knowing what's future in our lives, knowing that there may be a final exam someday where we're put in a place where if you were to ask me today, are you going to be able to do a good job on that final exam? Here's what it's going to look like. I go, oh, that sounds really scary. I don't think I could do that. But God prepares me in advance so that when I get to the point of taking the final exam, I do a good job for him to his glory because he did everything to prepare me. He gave me everything I needed to prepare me along the way with the tests along the way. So what does that say about us when testing comes our way? That we should count it all joy. What? Count it all joy? That's ridiculous. How can you count it all joy? The Bible wouldn't even teach something like that, I'm sure. Or maybe it would. James chapter 1. vet knows it. James chapter 1. It's one of your favorite verses. It, you know what? Let's go to it. James is near the back of your Bible. It's right after the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is one of the relatively larger ones back there. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. So this is near the beginning, the opening of this letter written by James here. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or depending on the version you have, ESV has steadfastness. NIV has perseverance. New American Standard Version has endurance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Or some versions will say that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Can I read my version? Yes, please. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 
So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Excellent. Thank you, Levit. Mm-hmm. You know, when Abraham was subjected to these tests, he recognized that the call of God on his life was such that God has the right to demand of you anything. He has the right to demand of me anything. And it's what I do, it's how I respond to that test that helps to dictate how I'm going to do on the next one and how I'm going to do ultimately on the final exam. For Abraham, he recognized that this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, had the right to command him in doing and performing and behaving and believing in the way that he did, just as he has the same authority to do in our lives. So how should we respond when he gives us tests, when he comes to prune us, when we go through these tribulations and trials? We're to count it all joy. I know that's hard, but we're to count it all joy. Not because it's fun. That would be, that's weird. It's not fun to go through tests, all right? But what we do is when we count it all joy, we're looking beyond the trial, the tribulation, the pain of the experience of the moment and recognizing this is going to change me in the sense that God is working something out in my life. God has started something in me and he intends to finish it. He intends to see it to completion. And in that is a process. And in that process, there's going to be painful times in our lives. But it's when we go through those times that we end up being more mature as a result of it. And so as we go into those, we're to have the long-term perspective, recognizing I will be more spiritually mature as a result of going through this test than I am today. I don't want to go through this. I'm not in the mood for more pain. But I'm willing to go through it because I know and I trust my life in God's hands. He knows what he's doing. And I can look forward to the day when he's going to have me be more like him as a result of going through these tests. Let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your patience with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you see the beginning from the end. We thank you, Lord, that you see intimate details of each of our lives, intimate areas that you're working on, you need to work on in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to submit to you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to submit to your well-trained hands as a surgeon, that we would submit to you as the master, and we are your pupils, your students. You know what you're doing, and we pray that you would help us to be all in for you, moving forward in the direction you'd have us to go, and that we could count it joy when we end up facing trials and tribulations, knowing that this is going to end up making us a more mature follower of God. We thank you. We thank you that you've got it all mapped out, You know what you're doing. We submit to you. Do with us as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.